0: going from being an attorney to then becoming a financial advisor. That's quite a leap. I've always been fascinated by that.
1: Well, you know, to me, it wasn't much of a leap. Um, Frankly, you know, when I think like a lot of people coming out of college, um, I didn't know which direction to go. And so I was kind of steered towards two directions, law and finance. And finance to me at the time always felt like, you know, basically looking at spreadsheets all day, <laughs> no no person involved. Uh, and so I went into the law route thinking, well, this is a better way to combine my interest in economics and business and uh, and also uh, combine my skills with Asia and my knowledge of Mandarin. But after, you know, being in the law for a couple of years, you realize, yeah, the people piece is not that, developed there's not a lot of involvement with people the way you thought you would be helping folks that's but,
0: interesting because when you think of an attorney you're like oh well an attorney represents somebody and they sure. have to have some sort of rapport some sometimes <laughs> i guess
1: <laughs> well i think that not not to not to denigrate attorneys john i don't get a lot of angry attorneys on at me but you know it's a, it's a very it's a very limited role that you play right for a specific amount of time you're doing a specific job mm. And I, I think I wanted to develop longer term relationships. And I found it was always a little limiting there. Um the other limiting factor about being an attorney, especially in New York City, is in order to really make it work, you have to be really good at one little part of the law. Mm. You know, people hear, oh hey, I'm an attorney oh, can you help me with uh, my divorce? Can you help me with my bankruptcy? You know, <laughs> But we, we all know they are very specific areas of the law. And to me, uh, I've always found myself to be much better at being a generalist and enjo- I enjoy being a generalist. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so- Being a specialist is really boring in
0: a lot of ways. I mean, <laughs> oh, oh, well, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I'm sure some people get, when you dig so deep into something, you hit new levels. And I respect that. I mean, I'm not, you know, but like, I I agree with you that, you know, the generalist, people like different
1: stuff, you know, so it it makes life more interesting. And so, uh, you know, I I kind of hit upon being a financial advisor uh, through being an attorney. Mm. So um, out of law school, I I ended up at a small firm on Wall Street, representing advisors and brokers when they would get into trouble. (laughs) So they'd come see us and say, hey, you know, I just... uh, um, sold this grandmother of futures and uh, now she's suing me. <laughs> Can you help me stay in the business because I need to feed my family? And so after a, few, Do you have a time machine, <laughs> Right, exactly. Uh, after a little bit of that, I said, you know, this is a really interesting field where people should really be helped. And there's too many folks who are focusing on the wrong, the wrong things mm-hmm. for the, uh, so uh, when I had the opportunity to move up here to the Berkshires, I said, you know, maybe this is a good time to make a switch. To find something where I could use my knowledge of law, tax, um, you know, business, economics, and combine them together in the journalist way that I enjoy, and I think there's a lot more value from finding the overlap between two different areas. Um, you know, it's one thing to go to the specialist when you, you know, need knee surgery or something, but you know, when you're dealing with people's finances. Everybody has different problems uh, that are the most important problem for them. Right. Right. So to me, it's okay. Let's figure out what that problem is for you, and then let's com- you know take a look at your whole picture and see how we can solve that the um the best, mm. in the best way possible.
0: So you said something about Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Um. So you spent time in China, uh, and you know what? What was that all about? <laughs> what was it all about because it's kind of like a footnote like when, right. you, when i see matt out and, you know we have conversations and 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 so forth it's kind of known like it, it's almost like this kind of almost like maybe now like an urban myth because it's like because <laughs> you're so established here and everything but there's this time that you were you were in china sure
1: yeah i mean i think um you know sometimes uh life is is chance and timing what happened to me was um you know, I had to take a, a language in college, like a lot of folks. And um, I, uh, the Hebrew classes that I was going to take were all full, so I ended up taking Mandarin. And I thought, well, you know, I grew up in Seattle. I like Chinese food. I had a lot of friends whose parents were from the area, from you know, China or Hong Kong, you know, Hong Kong, China, Taiwan, or Japan. Um, I'm interested in that. Uh, so, and it turned out that uh, other folks in my dorm room were also taking Mandarin, so we already had a, kind of a cohort of folks that were interested in it. And I ended up really liking it. Um, It also was, you know, the practical part of my mind also said, hey, this is 1999. China's going to join the WTO. They're going to be a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe this is an important thing to learn. So I think, uh, you know, both from a practical standpoint, from an interest standpoint, and then just kind of lucked into it a bit, but ended up really enjoying it. So um, uh, unfortunately, I didn't have time to study abroad in college. And so to me, before law school, I said, hey, I know once you start law school, You go down a path, you know, I may never get a chance to live overseas. Mm. So this is my time in my 20s to basically finish my paralegal job uh, at the big firm, take another year or two years, uh, you know, sell all my stuff, take a backpack and a messenger bag and just move to Taipei with no job. Um, And, you know, a friend of mine was already there. Thankfully, he got me kind of set up. But uh, it was a great experience because I think there's nothing better than kind of landing in some place where you, know very few people in a completely different country and you you know barely speak the language that most people speak and just trying to make it work mm-hmm. um but uh it was a great experience i'd never you know i, I definitely suggest anybody any young person has the opportunity to, to do it um you know ultimately decided hey i don't want to live in china or taiwan uh, it just didn't seem like the right place for me but um but it was a wonderful experience and uh, you know Occasionally, I get to take uh, employees or uh, my wife to uh, get Chinese food and and get to use my Mandarin, but uh, not too much anymore, unfortunately.
0: (laughs) I I think of that and I look at um, a couple points um, teaching about yourself, because when you grow up, you're surrounded by people who are like you. It's family, you know, and then the community, which is sort of an extension, you know, of that. Um, When you go to this completely, truly foreign place, um, I feel like you do learn maybe a little bit more about yourself because you are truly unique in that situation without those sort of natural connections, maybe. And then the other thing is, there's got to be a lot of humility that comes into it, especially when you're not you can't speak the language and like you got nothing. You know, it's like you you rely on other people to sort of help you out and like get there. So like I I think that is a really valuable experience for sure.
1: Yeah, I think it's you know. In part, I think for me, too, it was important, Um, you you know, my grandfather was an immigrant. He came over from Poland after World War II, And so like a lot of folks, you know, he came over with not a lot and had to make it work. And um, and so I think it was also that feeling like this is an important experience to have for me to, you know, a family experience to say, what is this like? What was it like for him? What was it like for my other, you know, other prior generations to come over? Um, and so it's something that's always felt like, okay, I want to have that uh, experience from the, and I think it's very, there. It is a big personal growth experience, as you said, but also felt like a uh, kind of part of a tradition uh, mm. to try to, to try to do something like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend it for to anyone for sure. But the other part about it, I think you're getting into a little bit in terms of, um, you know, being a lawyer spending this time on Mandarin and then sort of giving it up. You know, I think a lot of times in life we get stuck in certain places because of would feel like sunk costs. We spent mm. all this money, we yes. spent all this time, yes. and now we have to do that thing. Otherwise, somebody's going to be, you know,
0: my hey, mom's. Let's do this whole podcast on sunk costs. How about, <laughs> How about we just stop and like, let's, right. let's do a dissertation on uh, sunk costs? Yeah, uh, exactly. I love that concept. I love that idea because really it is real. People delve in and and they go and continue on with this concept because they have this perceived or real investment. That may not mean anything right now anymore, but but they keep on, keep on going with it.
1: yeah, so I think it's um it's something I've always tried to uh, say, look, i all I can do is start with today, and uh, I think in in dealing with pe- people's finances, sometimes there are a lot of sunk costs that you know you you try to navigate for folks you know or or attachment to things that you know maybe are hurting their financial uh, overall diversification or something, you know, maybe I inherited this huge position from uh, you know let's say GE, a lot of people own GE around here. It's like, okay, well, my grandmother uh, gave me this GE stock. It was my grandmother. She worked at GE forever. Uh, I can't sell this GE stock. Well, you know, (laughs) that, that probably, you know, has hurt a lot of people in this county to have that kind of mentality instead of saying, Hey, this is, this is GE, I have it. But what would, if I woke up uh, or once heard somebody say, if, if you, you know, if you woke up tomorrow and you didn't have, and you just had the cash and you didn't have the GE stock, would you buy it back? Most people would say, no, it's just right. that once you have it, you already kind of have that attachment to it.
0: That's a great perspective. Um, so yeah. it's a
1: similar kind of concept to sunk costs, but that, you know, there are all these kind of little, uh, you know, I would call them sort of behavioral finance, behavioral economics pieces that we also try to blend in. And I also try to live by, you know, on a day-to-day basis as a, to, to role model for, for clients, for my kids, you know, um. I think it's important to kind of live you know when you practice what you preach basically
0: yeah so much of it is psychology i mean the market itself i mean i know, you know the market is not the only piece of the economy of course there's there's so much more to it but how much is psychology in this whole profession you know what I'm saying because you have to you know do your research and follow uh different trends and and try to anticipate what uh is happening or where things are going um and then of course, you have your own maybe bias that you have to break through. But then all these clients who have their own biases—that mm-hmm. psychology
1: is a big piece of this. Um, I think it's huge. I mean, I think it's definitely it's becoming more known and people think about it more. But I think in the past it's it hasn't been a part of financial planning about of financial advising, uh, working with clients on their on their finances. But I I think it's it's a huge piece um, because you know it really is where the personal part of it comes to the finances, you know, I can sit here and say, hey, we're going to do really well, but if it doesn't match the, the goals that you have, uh, then it's meaningless. And those goals are, are very personal. Each, each individual has specific timeframes. This person wants to send their kids to college in five years. This person wants to retire in 30 years. Somebody else is two years from retirement. All those timeframes impact potentially, you know, how you're going to have that portfolio uh, invested. So I think the, the the psychology of it also is both where you're coming from up to this point and then also trying to, in a sense, of, think about the how would I feel if, yeah. right? <laughs> how would I feel if uh, I'm retiring next month and the market's down 30% and I maybe should have Taking some risk out when I didn't, so it's it's both uh, a recognition of the the story that you have with money. You know, a lot of times families pass down money, the the psychology of like how you feel when you see things, you know, up or up or down, and um, and then also sort of that of can we avoid the uh, pain or whatever you want to call it of by by trying to make some decisions now to make sure you're properly invested for that future at that future time
0: mm. and right now we're in a very fascinating economic mm-hmm. condition um inflation is just going wild at least it is i mean at the grocery store <laughs> that's where i i see it the, yeah. ga- the gas pump of course sure um so that has to be impacting people and there is a sense and, and Right now, the housing market, particularly—I mean, everywhere—but uh, here in the Berkshires, it's it's still hot, man. It's still mm-hmm. it's still popping. And um, I even uh, was talking to an appraiser today who was saying, "Oh, and you know, uh, wait till it pops because it's gonna it's it's gonna there's, this this bu- bubble is gonna burst." Um, but it hasn't yet. There's all these interesting things happening, and how is that impacting the way people are approaching their portfolios and the market? Uh, because, you know, there is this sort of sense that at some point this thing is going to maybe hit and maybe hit hard mm-hmm. um, negatively. Um, you know, where are you at right now? What are you thinking about the market?
1: You know, um, I was talking about this recently with a play, but I, I feel like the way to describe it is that maybe we're a little bit in the, a fork in the road in a number of different areas. And so there are things that trends that we've seen for you know a decade, two decades in some cases. And the question is, are we, I think in a lot of different areas of life including markets are those trends changing now because of the pandemic because of the impact mm. of that um for other reasons you know uh, but you know you're seeing things like for example bonds people are used to having bonds for safety to reduce risk in your portfolio and now rates are moving up mm. and you know I think there's folks that are questioning well is you know is are we are we going from a period where bonds have reduced risk to a period where they're maybe creating risk Hmm. So that would that would be one sort of inflection point that I think we're monitoring to see like how much or there are things that we can invest in outside of bonds to get that same risk reduction. Similarly, I think, you know, you look at the job market, right? You know, all the talk about great resignation. Uh, is that changing fundamentally that people, everyone wants to work from home because they have appreciated the flexibility? So I think I, I kind of chalk it up all to this idea that essentially, um, some trends have been were accelerated during the pandemic, and you know, and maybe are now coming, you know, coming back a little bit, back to normal, right? You know, and you see that in the stock market, like things like Peloton that people were really into, <laughs> Zoom, all those prices have come way down because people say, well, actually life's not that different. We thought the pandemic was changing everything, but actually it it didn't change everything
0: forever. Right. Exactly. Or didn't change everything forever. It changed some things, maybe forever, but not everything. And, you know, it's kind of like just this part way, uh, change. Correct.
1: (laughs) And in other ways you say, well, maybe this is a more permanent change. And so I think that's part of, um, what I'd say is impacting markets right now is just this sense that, okay, we're still trying to get back to normal. And, um, you know, in a sense, I, I've told a number of clients, this, it almost feels to me like we need a reset, like a recession. Nobody likes a recession. <laughs> it's, you know, right, it, right. but at the same time, it kind of feels like there's only almost that something would need to take place to reset people's be- behaviors, people's habits a little bit back to what it was before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are, what's the natural course of how much we spend on travel and versus how much we spend on... Furniture, you know, it's all been kind of pushed off of this because of this economic shock, and maybe, you know, it, it may require, in a way, to get back to something closer to what it was pre-pandemic. Some type of a, uh, hey, let's slow, you know, the economy slows down, we all kind of reset, and we start back. Yeah, I mean, because right
0: now, you know, certainly just for the average American, it's I mean, wages have remained stagnant, although it ha- they've gone up a little bit, but nothing to uh keep up with inflation now yeah. or historically. So it's been Correct. so wages are still way, way behind. That's where I think ultimately either you need to reset there or some things. That we're out of balance, I think, overall from uh the working American as a whole. Um and I know you're not speaking for the working American. <laughs> you, you, have your, you have your set of clients who are in a different position in 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 most cases. Right. But um but I find that kind of a um a stability point that's a little bit not stable right now
1: yeah I, I think you're right i think that that's you know on the one hand uh there is it's also potentially one of those turning points i mean i think people that have had capital that have had assets have really benefited as you know stock market's gone up house prices have gone up you know not just in the last couple of years but just in general you know and i think the question the other thing people are asking is well are we seeing a shift between the the power that labor and has and capital have? Are mm-hmm. employees going to have more power? And what does that mean for things like corporate profits? Right, mm-hmm. if uh, if employees are going to demand higher wages and and they're a bit more in control, then as an investor, how do I look at a company like Target or Walmart or you know that now has to keep raising their hourly wages in order to mm-hmm. keep pace? does that then change my thought about what should that stock be worth
0: right right and maybe at some point you sort of look at what the value is of having the types of expectations that we've had on corporations or any business um, over the last you know the the assumption that quarter over quarter that you have to have x amount of profit to be Performing, you know. In reality, you know, (laughs) I mean, maybe it used to be. I don't know if if it used to be. I'm not old enough um, to know. But a company that is operating, maybe they make a little bit of a profit. They're paying all their employees. They're a good community partner. That used to be kind of a good thing, you know. But I think over time, with the um, focus on the stock market and that really driving everything, that these corporate profits have become so important. And that really drives the bus, which also, I think, in part, keeps wages stagnant over time and that sort of thing. I could be wrong, but um, but that philosophy um, for the American worker hasn't been great. It's been great for the stock market, um, but maybe maybe there's an opportunity now to sort of shift that mentality and still have the stock market be you know successful and and people yeah, I mean, make money.
1: Certainly, you know, if you go back over time. Um, the stock market's always been a good tool to grow your your wealth above inflation. Mm-hmm. Right. So even with all the volatility we're having, we're still telling clients, look, you need to have stock exposure because this is the best place to be on a long term basis right. to make sure that you're going to not go backwards. Right. Uh, you know, if you had a, uh, you know all your money in a CD or in the bank over the last 10, 15 years. You would be losing because of where rates were and how much inflation is going to cut into your costs. So we can't avoid stock exposure. I think your point about is, um, I don't want to you know get too much into politics. Uh, I'll leave that <laughs> to you. But but I do think that. Oh come on, Matt. Uh, you know,
0: politics. Uh, <laughs> but I do think
1: that you know it, it does impact sort of how we think about what is the role of a company and yeah. uh, and and then that you know and it impacts investors. But I think every every company looks at the uh dynamic of how much am I gonna invest in capital and you know factories uh robots etc right and how much am I going to invest in people and um I think that that's one of those really things that has shaken people up is to say well what am I working for you know right. Right. when you have that kind of mentality and more you know real real face-to-face with mortality with COVID, am I going to am I going to survive this? I do think you you see the psychology, going back to psychology for a second, in people really shift a bit. And um, in good, you know, in in I would say putting the politics aside in good ways, right? I mean, mm-hmm. people willing to start new businesses, mm-hmm. right? And we, we want more innovation. I mean, going, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about yet, but in those stagnant wages and, and during those times for the last 10, 20 years, we've also seen productivity go down, right? Mm-hmm. And productivity ultimately is what we need to keep, economy growing we need companies to be able to do more with with the people they have and and the the other and the you know equipment that they have but ultimately it needs they need to be able to produce more and so i think whether it's you know uh increasing wages i do think we need to think about how how can we make employees more productive
0: Mm.
1: you know whether that's training employees so that they can move up the chain better Mm -hmm. um because otherwise, I think we will continue to have a situation where you're going to have a have and have not situation. And, and I, I think people across the spectrum, I don't care how much you have. There are people at the top that say, yeah, that's right. We don't want, we don't want pitchforks either. <laughs> right. um, but and so there, I think there is kind of a, a rethinking of like, what, what does that look like? How do we how do we change the, the career path so that you're on a path that allows for people to move up, not just because they have a college degree, but because they are becoming lifelong learners, and that maybe they can stay with this company if this company finds a way for them to keep growing in the role that they have and move to the next role and get mm-hmm. paid a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you see other, you do see other countries that have a little bit different model. Though I think it's working a little, it's working better for them in that regard. Um, you know, um, Germany is a good example where you know they just have a lot much tighter uh, relationship between schools and companies. So if you're not on the college track, that's okay. You know, we'll go send you more to vocational and, and and we have a program with Volkswagen and, you know, we'll get you in there. And, and so we're, they're finding kind of higher end jobs, but it's because there's a recognition that people need to be connected to that. It, it shouldn't be all on the, the individual to find that job and their career path, you know, oh, let me find the next job. Maybe the company should be more focused on how the employee is doing
0: yeah and i think that we've had this conversation quite a bit on the on the podcast about a shift in mentality in our country and certainly even in our community about what it means to have education that will make you more employable and so i think for a long time at least there's a mentality that again the college education the four-year degree and if you didn't have that well you you know, okay, you're just in vocational or something like that. Well, it's kind of the other way around. There's high demand now for technical skills. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, many of those students are the ones who become the business owners of tomorrow who are super successful, you know, the plumbers, electricians, um, and mechanics who have their shops and and that sort of thing. And that is in high, high demand. So, Mm -hmm as people are planning to pay for that college tuition you know um, i'm sure there's some clients who are hoping that um, uh, colleges and, and universities at least state ones will be free one day um, by the time their kids go to school but that's you know <laughs> yeah you can't, you can't plan for that but um, with that said uh, that is a, a perspective that i think has shifted probably in the last decade or so
1: yeah and i'd say you know it comes up in the financial planning we do because yeah. i think for people uh you know in their just say most of them probably 40s and 50s who you know have kids that are are getting to college age um you know one of the biggest things that we talk about is how do i balance saving for retirement and Mm -hmm. saving for college you know because for a lot of people college is going to be the most expensive thing that they pay for you know for their kids Mm -hmm. right more than their mortgage more than you know any single thing and Mm -hmm. you know more kids you have (laughs) the the harder it is as you know uh so so I think it is something where we, we think about that and, and some of the planning that we're start, we're starting to look at some planning tools that kind of help do a better job of really delving into, well, how much is a school going to cost? And also, what are some of the hidden things that you don't see on the price tag, right? Like this particular school may provide a merit scholarship, right? So a lot of people are, you know, in the, in the, whole, in the kind of middle ground, right? They're not, they, they have more so that they won't get financial aid but they have not so much that they really want to be trying to on the hook. They can't cover all of it and they don't ideally want to have their kids take out huge loans. Mm-hmm. So can we find schools where we can look at it and say, it's not on the paperwork, but we know this school and it's in the, some of the databases and some of the tools that we are looking at, like can help kind of navigate this, you know, this school is going to provide a merit scholarship. So this school won't and they're, you know, otherwise roughly equal. So am I being short-sighted to just say, well, this is the school I'm gonna go with. You know, I think kids should be more part of uh, you know, uh kind of talking to your kids about finances is is this discussion. Hey. Right, right. And understanding, understanding
0: and and knowing that uh you're going to have to pay a monthly um uh, payment right. <laughs> once you graduate from college. You know, how do you think how do you feel about that other than rent? Um and it's also not something that uh, you know, there's no I don't know, it's it's you can't get out of uh, mm-hmm. student. Right. <laughs> you know, right. it's like you can't you, you can't get out of it. Um, so at least not now, um, until well, they forgive the debt, they forgive us, but, (laughs) um, but that's just traditionally, it's been one of those things. And so it is interesting. So as you're, as you're balancing things, kids, usually it's one of the things they're not thinking about. They're thinking about, oh, I'm in a city, I'm in a rural area. I'm, it's a campus, uh, you know, this has a sports team that I'll be able to play on that sort of thing. The finances usually aren't something that kids, uh, are aware of.
1: Right. And I think it, you know, it actually reminds me a little bit of sort of some of the psychology too, of, like status right how much is status important yeah right um you know you say to somebody hey I really you know I want to go to this school because it's in a city um mm-hmm. and you see it even with kids coming out of college I remember talking to somebody at General Dynamics who helps recruit kids engineers I said okay well General Dynamics at the time let's say was paying I don't know sixty five thousand, and they said we can't get kids to move to the Berkshires to work for General Dynamics out of school because they want to get paid Eighty thousand dollars in Boston, <laughs> and you're thinking, and and you know, my head, and from a personal finance point, I'm saying,
0: like, what are they crazy? <laughs> you know, you, you're gonna do a lot better on sixty-five thousand dollars in
1: the Berkshires. How much is that diploma worth? Kid? Like, can you do the math on this one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, but but I think for some people, it's a status thing, and I'm, I've heard some similar things from people that I've met here who moved up, uh, you know, from what's in New York City during the pandemic, and. Uh, a lot of the, let's say tech firms that they're working for might say, "Well, you can stay remote, but we're going to give you a 15 percent pay cut because you're not living in a city." Mm-hmm. And so to me I'd say, well, is, isn't living here 15 percent cheaper at least <laughs> than living in New York City?" I would think so. Yeah, but that's what they, they're tied to that again. They're, they're, there's, uh, you know they're, they're really attached to that number that's what they make and they feel like that's you know in their head i wanted to get to the point that i make x right how can i move backwards
0: i do hope that you are enjoying the podcast i just want to take a quick moment to let you know that this is a production of 180 media that's my full service communications and marketing agency we do a full range of content development graphic design web development for wordpress or wix or other web platforms copywriting, video work. Check out 180media.com and see also some of my past work and the agency's past work on my blog, johncroll.info. And now back to the podcast. But then there's the prestige of the colleges. And I, right. and I really love to see that analysis of the outcome and maybe take out the um, you know the harvards and you know mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing and just say okay uh, state school state university outcomes versus expensive private schools mm-hmm. you know and, and and again we'll take the outliers out you know the harvards and so well, forth
1: malcolm gladwell's done some interesting like kind of discussions on some of these things and um you know i think there's there's the issue that you make of the status on for the individual but there's also a uh it actually, in some ways, could potentially be harming the economy in ways we're talking about. So, mm. you know, what he's looked at is, okay, what happens to somebody that is really interested in math and wants to become an engineer, and they get into Harvard, okay, and they get into their math, first math class to be an engineer, and what happens? They're kids that are, you know, incredibly much better at math than them. So, what do they do? They get dis- disappointed, mm. and they're like. I I guess I can't be an, an engineer because I, I can't be these kids. So, you know, whereas that same person would be fine at a state school and would end up being an engineer and there would be no difference in their ability to be an engineer, let's say. Yeah. Um so I think that there's fewer people going into those STEM programs at schools because of the status and the you know when you when they get to those other schools and then you end up with folks that are getting degrees that maybe they or not even what they're interested in right but right. they wanted you know they they lost the passion for something because, because they're
0: getting beaten down by all these yeah. uh you know <laughs> super math right wizards right Exactly, um, you know and and so yeah, yeah um, so fundamentally i think like that that, that's a piece the opposite of, it of goodwill hunting or something right. i don't know like what right. is the what is the bizarre world <laughs> yeah exactly
1: <laughs> but i do think you know when you look at the numbers it, it is clear that it, it doesn't really matter you know where you. Um, where you went to school, certainly for your undergrad, you know, most of the, the things I've, I've seen is like, where you went for your undergrad doesn't matter, maybe graduate school, you, know, you try to get into a better school, that can matter. But you know, the difference between an engineer from here and here, I, I think is mostly not that important for a starting engineer.
0: <laughs> this segment Somebody is else. sponsored by Berkshire Community <laughs> right. College, yeah, exactly. and Mass <laughs> College of Liberal Arts. <laughs> That's right. Not my
1: own honor, just so <laughs> No, no, right.
0: <laughs> but it is it, <laughs> it really it, is. And so um, I wanted to make that point because as you're as you're thinking about this. That's an, you know, I don't know if you've ever said to a client, hey, um, you ever think about Westfield State? Because gosh, you know, they got some great programs there, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> as far as that goes. Because, I mean, at, at the end of the day, if you don't, so if you have college money saved up um, and you don't spend it all and you still cover the costs, you know, that money is is money you get to keep, I assume, right? <laughs>
1: Sure. I mean, you can, well,
0: how does it, how does that work? I yeah, sure. So,
1: so uh, your question regarding like the way 529 plans work, 529. which yes. are your college savings plans, you know, um, uh, which, you know, just to give some basics, you know, every state has their own 529 plan, but you can get your 529 from any state. There's no, because any plan will cover uh, any, you know, any school in the country. And in some cases, actually like some study abroad programs and schools outside the country, um, as long as you can the school qualifies for financial aid basically you can then use that 529 plan for that school um but you know the idea is just you know similar to uh to retirement account you put the money in it's it's in some states you get a tax deduction so in massachusetts you get up to a two thousand dollar state tax deduction for each year um and but either pu- and you're putting that in pre-tax putting it in uh after after tax after tax well, Okay. in state it depends if there's an, a tax deduction but let's just for the general purposes, it's mostly after, you know, okay. mostly after tax, uh, and then it's going to grow tax deferred. You're never going to pay tax on it if all the money goes well during the time frame. It's growing, hopefully, right? Uh, you know, there's no taxes on it. And then if the money spent for college, then uh, or educational expenses, which are pretty broad, and you know, they can include things other than tuition, um, sure. then you can you, you can go ahead and um, not pay any taxes on the the gains on the growth of that that those funds. Um, so it is a good way to put money aside, but to your point, I think a lot of people say, well, why would I do that? What happens if my what happens if my kid does get the full ride? Right? Uh, and let's, <laughs> you know just let's just say you only have one kid. Well, you know you can transfer those funds to the next generation. you know, mm-hmm. maybe those maybe that your child has kids and then you move it to the grandkids. But even worst case scenario, you take it out. You know, there's there's a there's some tax penalty, but it's not. You know, you're gonna pay taxes on it, but it's not so enormous that you should really worry about. I think you. It's better to. I I like to be optimistic and think. You know, this money is gonna get used one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Maybe it's grad school instead of. Right. undergrad it's there so it's basically there. if
0: you're giving you know giving it to your kid or what have you you know maybe if uh he or she takes it out you know there's there's taxes that has to be taken out but again yeah there's grad school uh, or um you or could, maybe even for their kids yeah and, and right and you can that, move
1: it you can't even move it between you know let's say if you have two kids maybe one kid gets the full ride and one kid doesn't well then you can move the money to your other son or daughter yeah uh, so there, there, there are options there um, I think the more important thing is to be thinking about it, and and probably the most important thing that you know you sort of touched on is, are we having the conversation? Mm. You know, uh, as parents, you, you know, you, you want to give everything to your kids, right? <laughs> um, we all feel that way. Like, yeah, well, I don't care what it costs. That, that's <laughs> like, they want to they go to baseball camp. You know, we're just going to do it. Um, but you know, the reality is, like we said, this is a, a major financial decision, and I think it's, you know, if you put it to some people this way, you know. Do you think that your son, let's just say, wants to be taking care of you in retirement because they went to this school versus this school, right? <laughs> I think that most kids, even at seventeen or eighteen, would say probably they won't have nothing to do with their parents at that age, but but you know would say no, like I, I'd rather that you know my mom and dad or mom dad whatever it is are okay that they feel like they can enjoy the money that they've saved. Mm-hmm. that's more important to me than going to you know whatever it is smith versus Westville state whatever whatever the yeah. you know the comparison is there but you know i uh, most importantly i think it's that assumption right i think the parent assumes that i have to do this because i'm a parent right, right and right. then i can't talk to my 17 or 16 or you could even be younger but yeah. like well that, there's that mentality like right. oh well
0: my kid got into williams i would feel like a jerk if he or she wasn't able to go to williams or sure harvard or what have you um because we can't afford it you know getting in is really hard right so therefore you know so that has to be uh something that weighs on parents
1: yeah and 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 yeah it does um but i think it's you know it's worth at least having the discussion and saying this is what this is what we can afford this Mm -hmm. is what you would take is loan, And then, you know, at least the person, the, the, the parents going in with eyes open, the child's going with that, you know, the, the the son or daughter's going in with eyes open. But it's, I think it's when you don't have those conversations that you end up, you know, making uh, poor decisions, right? Mm. And some of those decisions can be hopefully benefit from having, you know, discussions with a financial advisor that can be more objective about it um, and kind of say, look, I, I have no Skin in the game uh, here, like it's your life, you know, and and and. But I'm just let me just show you what the differences are between this and this, mm-hmm. and and think about it. Um, that's part of the reason you know we when I was putting together my new firm, um, I wanted to try to come up with a way of describing the approach and not the approach from like a most firms will say this is our investment of philosophy and and you know I, I could talk to that, but but I think what most people know is how do you work with people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the three pillars that i came up with were interpret educate adapt right mm. there's a lot of financial jargon you don't know all the rules i have to interpret this and, and you know speak it to you in language that you understand educate you on why it matters why why do we need to know what the uh, tax deduction is on 529 plans why does it matter to you um so once i've interpreted it like what what we need and then all the financial jargon then let me educate you on why it matters and then you know, it's your decision you got to adapt i can't in most cases say when you know whether you should send your kid to williams or westfield state right but let's know what the uh what the the consequences are going to be and and not kind of think down the road geez i really wish i would have known what how that would impact my future mm. um that's the best we can do and the firm right. is tableau correct Tableau. Tableau. tableau yeah okay tableau wealth tableau you want, well.
0: uh, you, want the, you
1: want the story john <laughs> <laughs> tableau Wealth.
0: no i don't. i just want to make sure i said it right. oh i see, so that's I see. That's some a... people want to know Tablo. like
1: where, where the name came from
0: <laughs> where did the name come from <laughs> um, of course
1: i want to know <laughs> Well, I, I figured you would uh hey, just, john why don't you ask me uh, <laughs> Where, did the, where did the name from? <laughs> uh what's a common question you know <laughs> look i mean uh, everybody uh a lot of firms <laughs> you know the name of the firm is the name of the person Right. Yeah. And I don't think I'm all that important in this. Right. Uh. You know. And and my goal, if you create a business, I think, as a small business owner, is you can pass it down. Right. And you can involve other people. You can bring on other advisors. So I think having a name where it's me, it doesn't it doesn't build into that thought that this is not about me. Right. Um. Similarly, you know, I didn't want to have anything where it was kind of tied to any geography. You know, I have clients in right. California, Florida, Colorado. So it has to be something that um, lends itself to a broader scope uh, geographically. And and I wanted something that kind of spoke to this idea of the uniqueness of each client. And so, uh, and, and a way to describe sort of the, the way that we look at their financial picture comprehensively. And so, uh, sort of just came to me in the middle of the night, like a lot of ideas, that Tableau had the feel of Tableau, meaning sort of picture painting in French, right? It's got the X, so it's multiple pictures and paintings. I thought it spoke to me of the first every day how we're dealing with each person's financial picture. And there are multiple financial pictures and very different pictures. But also uh, throughout someone's life, you know, to my own, you know, giving my own example, history as an example, um, you know, I was gonna be a lawyer and now I'm not. <laughs> my financial picture changed. I lived in New York City. I was now I'm in the Berkshires. My financial picture changed. So the question is in each of those, how are we approaching each person? from with their own financial picture, helping them paint that picture, you know, asking the questions that they need to, to maybe imagine, Hey, what's retirement going to look like? What do I care about? Um, and then when those things change, we, we have to brush, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's just touch up the picture. Maybe we just need to start with a new picture, Mm -hmm. blank slate, start fresh. Um, that's, that's what we do every day is just try to try to treat people with, uh, you know, in the unique way that they are and the goals that they have. And, and, help them when they hit those uh you know different uh turning points in their life
0: love it love it tableau (laughs) (laughs) say it with me now i love it crypto (laughs) 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 i mean what no i mean like depending on who you talk to it's the greatest thing in the world and right. it's going to make us right. all millionaires or it's a complete sham, mm-hmm. stay away from it. Um, maybe it's somewhere in the middle, uh, but uh, you know, what's going on with crypto? <laughs> what's, going on, crypto? <laughs> what's going on with crypto?
1: I mean, there, there are people that are well, much more knowledgeable than me in this area. I I try to keep it pretty, pretty simple. You know, anytime there's a new technology, it's always going to change the world, right? And people get excited about it. You know, in the 90s, it was the internet. Internet is going to change the world. Now, looking at it now, 25 years later, can we say the internet changed the world? It did, but there was a huge speculative period. And, you know, I heard somebody uh, say something once that I thought was pretty powerful in in this regard, which is speculation builds the foundation for innovation, Mm. right? Everybody... Is excited about the new thing, and there might be hundreds of companies that are trying to get into that new thing, but not all of them are going to succeed. And you know, whether it's car companies, right? There might be hundreds of car companies. Now, I think at one point there might be thousands of car companies. Now, how many car companies do we have? Mm. You know, only a few because only a few survived. Only if you had the, I don't know, the the uh, benefit of the man- manufacturing line that Ford put together, or sometimes just timing and luck, you know, the right people, whatever it is, but those few survive. And at that point, there's, is something we said for, yeah, there was some benefit of car. <laughs> yeah. The cars were going to be important, mm-hmm. but could you say at one point, like, should I choose Ford over, I don't know, Studebaker? Uh, mm-hmm. When, when you were looking at, at stocks at any one point, I don't know that you could. So I, and I don't purport to have any thought about like, is ether going to be win or is it, you know? So to me, I think you, always want to be wary of the time frame when everybody's getting in and you wait to see like when is that crash there's always i would say I'd say always but like generally speaking there's a point in time which 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 all the players kind of coalesce some fall away go bankrupt people then suddenly say oh we can't believe we we're so high you know excited about x and then a few players are still just doing their thing and building the the real value in it, mm-hmm. and that's I still think we're real, very much in the speculative period, and mm-hmm. um, you know, just like car companies, there are I think seven thousand different cryptocurrencies. You know, mm-hmm. how do I choose one or the other? You know, I was uh, you could say well, Bitcoin's been around the longest, okay? Like is that is that a reason to to mean that Bitcoin's going to be the winner? I was you know I was telling somebody else you know Lyft was the first ride sharing app before uber i said really i just uber is like the biggest one now isn't it bigger than Lyft? i think yeah but in their public and whatever but okay so you just think that because they're bigger now that they were the first and it's often not the case so i think you know it's something to watch i think that the technology is pretty interesting um but I, i don't think we've necessarily gone through that uh you know final crypto winter or whatever you want to call it uh that would then leave a number that say okay now we have a real value here mm-hmm. um this is a real currency that people are using in real in, in right life. and that's the thing i guess um that to me
0: that's the real gap And but of course i mean there are people who have made millions maybe not billions but hundreds of millions of dollars you know in crypto i think there's a guy who has bought a whole bunch of properties in linux. known <laughs> he's a crypto guy and and he made a fortune uh, for crypto. so you know people are have made real money but there is that gap between functionality mm-hmm. of what what is this what was this originally supposed to be and is that actually ever going to be what crypto is because right now it's it's just all the speculative aspect mm-hmm. because what's the value you know and I think you know Mark Rezinsky and I were talking about this he said hey You got a lot of crypto do me a favor buy me a beer at at this bar with crypto you know you can't do it right so and and that was his point um but anyway i i I just find it very interesting because there's just so much that people don't know other than the fact that there are some people getting really really rich off of it
1: well and and so then i think it leads to people getting you know dupe whether it's scams because you know <laughs> there's supposedly right if with you on instagram you've <laughs> <have> been approached <laughs> right by a you lot know, of crypto dealers my my installers. understanding is is each of these cryptocurrencies supposedly has some project right where it's like well this is the cryptocurrency that you're going to use to um make sure that you are anonymous on the internet like or, or some little f- some little activity that you do in daily life, right? And this is the coin that you're going to use to do that activity. Um, But yeah, is that activity something you are going to do a lot or a few times? Or or are we even going to, you know, is that even useful for you? You know, I think when it comes down to it, there'll be probably, you know, assuming it it survives, I think you'll have a few things that are kind of like the same as your frequent flyer miles, right? Um, You know? somebody likes to fly on delta they get a whole bunch of delta coin and right that's how they purchase their delta airline tickets right um others you know could have broader uses but nonetheless if you in your crypto wallet you're going to have a few potentially basically the things that you you care about you you need either need to do it maybe buy that beer or pay taxes or something and then there are some that are sort of just related to your hobbies right because i think it's everything between uh, you know, an investment, like a security, you know, like buying, uh, you know, the S&P 500 index, it's everything between that and basically miles, right? Reward points <laughs> mm. and everything in between. And so every current, I, I don't also kind of loop them into one, you know, I think you have to think about each one separately as a separate sort of use case. And uh, But I think most people when they buy them are just saying, which one's gone up, right? <laughs> you know, I don't, much. I don't, I don't think anybody's yeah. digging in to no, like yeah. the, what's the project. Yeah, some of them, right? As we know, are like there isn't even a project, right? Like so, the I think the Dogecoin and uh, one of the other ones are, you know, there's it's just it's just a joke. There's it's just no made up. right (laughs) Right. there's no there's nothing you could use there's nobody trying to build software around it right yeah Yeah. um so i think that that's uh you know it's it's dangerous when you get (laughs) into that mindset like let's just buy this thing because it's going up and and no one i think is doing the research to say like which of these projects is ultimately gonna going to have some benefit so I, i still think it's very much in that speculative period um, you know, I, I, and I, you know, certainly it's, it's not really feasible. It's becoming more feasible for clients to invest in it. I have clients ask about it, but it's not something we do certainly, um, you know, at, at this point, um, you know, the other principle, in addition to the speculation, um, builds the foundation that I always look towards is the, what I call sort of Levi Strauss principle. And what I mean by that is, you know, you go to the gold rush, right? Everybody thinks they're going to strike gold, right? right? Who wins? <laughs> the, the person yeah. who supplies the jeans. Yeah. You know, I think it's the same here, right? Like every one of these cryptocurrencies, they think they're going to make millions of dollars. Our project, we're going to be the premier cryptocurrency for whatever it is, NFTs or something. Um, okay, great. But, you know, you're just paying for gold and, but who's who's benefiting, you know, the folks probably that, you know, the semiconductor companies, right? That are needed to do the mining, you know, these other suppliers mm-hmm. to the area are I think where you start to say is that that's maybe where I would look to invest in
0: because yeah I, and the third it, party people selling it also you know I mean, like I said all these all these messages you got on Instagram you right know, those people are, are sure making a, a cut you know and, right. and obviously or else they wouldn't be doing it so um so yeah it's yeah it sounds to me like that, that could very well be the case and mm-hmm. like it's sort of this little these cottage industries that pop up around this whole concept, uh, which is strange and new to people, uh, mm-hmm. most people anyway. I mean, I, I think if you really ask anyone who has heard of crypto or or even has invested it to really explain what it is, um, they may have a difficult time doing that. I know I have a difficult time explaining mm-hmm. what it is. I know we've had <laughs> forums here at the Berkshires all right. about crypto, and I'm sure you know if you went there, maybe you'd know more. But um, well, but I, maybe
1: you yeah. need to have Paul Farrell on. I know he's uh, he knows a lot more than I do about that. <laughs> I, know.
0: I know. So, but it's, it's just interesting in that concept, especially when you're thinking of like, well, diversifying, you know, does crypto need to be a piece of that, um, mm-hmm. even if it's a, a small piece?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I've definitely seen some discussion of that in sort of financial planning world. Like, you know, is it 1%, is it 2%? Um, you know, yeah, it's not a... If it's not going to ruin, like, and like a lot of things in life, if we look at your financial plan and if this is not going to If it all upset, disappears
0: tomorrow, right, everything you put in, if it disappears tomorrow, are you going to be okay?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think about similarly when folks really want to buy, you know, a few individual stocks, right? We don't tend to buy individual stocks, but, you know, sometimes somebody says, hey, I really like to buy this. Okay. Is it gonna, going to upset your plan? If not, I actually think it can be beneficial, right? Right. Um, I kind of think about it as what's going to help you focus on your finances if if having one stock that helps you look at your portfolio occasionally and focus on your personal finances because you now have this one thing that you're watching yeah you know it's just like fantasy football you you, if you if you're playing fantasy football
0: you're uh, gonna get better at it you're
1: gonna you're gonna get better at it but you're also gonna be you're gonna you're gonna care a little bit more so you know having a few individual stocks that you've picked and you've you know had a thought process behind and it's not throwing, you know, uh, going to upset the apple cart. I think it can actually be, you know, pretty beneficial for for clients to have that and, and feel like, okay, this isn't this isn't just a uh, I get my statement in the mail and it's a it, there's a number at the bottom, right? <laughs> uh, okay, where's the number at this year? You know, it's okay. I know that I was looking at this. Hey, where has it As doing? I hit ten percent that Chester. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So, um, you know, uh, I think about it the same way. You know, if you, if the one percent is going to be, uh, you know. Is going to help you focus on the big picture and then and not going to upset the car go for it i was born in uh was born in florida uh in fort lauderdale and uh moved to seattle uh when i was seven uh big change going from sunny florida <laughs> to seattle i remember distinctly losing my tan after one winter <laughs> It took, uh, it took a whole winter to lose a uh, yeah, Exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is what happens, right? My dad got a job at Microsoft uh, in the late 80s and we moved to Seattle and I grew up just outside of uh, Seattle in a small, well, small, I don't want to use the word small town because that means something else in the Berkshires, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, small compared to Seattle uh, of about uh, 25,000 called uh, Mercer Island. Mm. And uh, it's just, you know, just outside of downtown Seattle. Um, and it was a great place to grow up. Uh, it was, but um, but I always kind of had a pull towards the East Coast. Um, uh, my family's from in and around uh, New York City, so I always kind of came back and really loved the energy of, of being on the East Coast and and something about you know the walkability and. Just everything about it, quite It's just I'm one of the few people who like went this way, <laughs> um, but but it's just been in my nature since uh, a very young age. Um, but ultimately, uh, you know, I met my wife in law school, um, Catherine, and um, she grew up in Stockton. So, which law school was that? It was uh, Cardozo Law School. It's part of uh, Yeshiva University, okay. kind of right uh, around uh, kind of by NYU in, in Manhattan. Um, but you know, when I met her, I started coming up here and and you know to see her parents and still live in Stockbridge and you know what I really discovered to me was uh the best blend I've found anywhere of the things that I enjoy right uh you know the culture of the you know museums the theater that when you're living in a big city oftentimes you don't even have time for right? You're, you're right. too busy in the rat race <laughs> that you don't really get a chance to enjoy. Um, Your
0: commute uh, yeah, takes up too much time. <laughs> correct.
1: Uh, but, but as well as the outdoors that I had growing up in Seattle, you know, I did a lot of backpacking and hiking with Boy Scouts and, and love loved nature. So I sort of really grew to love it up here. And when we were thinking about, you know, let's get out of New York City, uh, we want to raise a family and we can't do that in a 600 square foot studio. Um, where's that going to be? Um, and I sort of said, you know, what do you think about this to, to, uh, to my wife? And she said, you know, like a lot of people, uh, you know, I never thought I'd move back to the virtues, but you know, let's maybe that's, maybe that'll work, you know? And, um, we tried it a little bit and it, it, it really did work and we both, you know, uh, love it and we've been here about a decade and
0: so when you first uh moved here was that uh were you still in the sort of attorney mode or and and when when did that happen
1: um yeah so my wife moved up first and i was still kind of finishing out my job um and we started sort of connecting with some uh family friends about you know what are some opportunities um uh you know as a securities lawyer and what i had done uh in law firm prior really there's not much of that around here so i would, would have had to probably change the focus of my legal career anyway um but you know i talked to a number of law firms and but i always in the back of my head thought you know i really want to move to being a financial advisor and and thankfully i i uh, found a family friend who uh took me into his team and and we we grew from there uh with some other advisors um but uh that was crucial to find that right person to a uh, you know invest in you right um mm-hmm. i always tell kids if you can find the mentor you know that's going to help you mm-hmm. uh you know find that person you know it's, that's the reason right you go and you get your informational interviews and you stay in touch with these people because you never know who's going to be that connect you to the right thing but um thankfully i found that right advisor and and he uh i was able to to uh you know build uh uh on on his skills hopefully and um and just see how he does things you know i think um historically it's it's kind of like a survival, survival mode, right? You get into like the training program for Merrill Lynch and uh, okay, we'll give you two years, you make or break it kid. Mm. <laughs> and uh, and a lot of people wash out, right? Cause then it's so yeah. focused on selling and, just and I, selling. and I
0: really, and I find that, I, I love the idea because it's scary when you go from something you know that, that you feel comfortable in you're growing in and then you really in, in, in a lot of ways starting from scratch because when you're when you're doing that it's like it is sink or swim because it's not like you know well here here kid we're going to give you a 200 grand just you know as a salary and and right. have a nice day you know you gotta you have to like get the clients and you have to build your own uh client list and yeah. that sort of thing And if you don't do it um you know, I was having a conversation with a gentleman who's been in the radio industry for a long time, Steve Chassari mm-hmm. a good friend of mine, and he talked about how he went from high level VP HR, but he knew he had to do sales, so he became a sales accountant for a certain. Ter- and that's where he that's where he started, and he and he made that leap, which to me was amazing. You know, his his base salary was like forty percent of what he was making, you know, previous. So like to do that,
1: that takes guts. Yeah, I mean, we definitely, we each took major pay cuts, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> uh, to move up here. I mean, I had no job when I moved up initially. Um, my wife was working uh, with her her father, uh, you know, I think took about a 75% pay cut, and I think mine was about 50%. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, I think you're right. There is something to be said for just kind of saying, again, hey, if this is what we want, then we'll let's go for it. Um, but I think, you know, what I really appreciated about you know w- the opportunity I was given was that yes there was some sink or swim about it but I also knew it was part of a team that I could learn from you know it wasn't a timeline you know of hey if you don't get X number of clients you're going to be booted it was hey I want to grow you and your skills um, such that you can take over some of my clients in the future and to me that was a really uh, a special opportunity that um I hope other you know financial advisors get um I think there are a lot of advisors who could be good advisors but they don't have the space to learn mm. how to in- communicate and engage with clients right not everybody has the same sales style uh, yeah you know?
0: yeah and especially I think a, the- a lot of people aren't really great under pressure mm-hmm. um so like you know while yes you know you need to put that aside and have that conversation with a client if you are under this sort of cloud of oh my god if i don't you know sign this kind up i'm totally like this is not you know and and, and that permeates and that mm-hmm. permeates into Absolutely. what you're doing and into that conversation it's it's t- a lot of people some people thrive with that to be fair but um a lot of people that just will shut them down and their real talent won't won't blossom
1: correct yeah and so i think that there are um you know and certainly i think historically our industry has been just sell 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 right (laughs) just sell just keep selling uh and uh and i think the the more important thing is to get the point where you can say uh, i'm going to take on this client because i think i can they're going to be a good fit for me, and 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 I'm going to be a good fit for them.
0: I just had this image pop in my head, and I'm thinking to myself yeah. you know, because there are some firms out there that it's like used car salesmen, uh, or actually even new car sales. Because you, you know, if you ever like go into one of the car dealerships, had or something, you get out into the parking lot, and it's just like you're just like <laughs> right? like oh, people are running at you, like throwing yeah. themselves at you, like "Can I help you?" You know that sort of thing, and it's just so tough you know and i i have a ton of respect for people who can who can do that but that you know when you're dealing with your finances and that's so personal and everything um man you know to to have that personal touch i think i think that level of that smaller firm and that and that more personal uh touch is is such a huge thing it really is and i mean what is more personal than your your finances
1: yeah i mean it's not you know, I'm not, it's not I to mean, say that other firms, you know, they do it differently uh, aren't, aren't great. I'm sure they are. I just think that they they serve a different customer, right? Um, um, so you know, I was at a conference and they talked about how there are advisors who want to have a solo firm, right? They just want to run their own thing. And, and that requires them being very specific about every single client that they take on because they only have a certain number of people they can handle mm-hmm. on, a, on an annual basis. Other firms want to be kind of more boutique and have a few advisors, and and feel like we're 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 still you know very focused on you know the quality, and and we have a small family, and other folks want to just grow the business just like any other business. Um, so you have to kind of decide, I think, you know where you're going to be. Um, I'd like to, you know, I'm hoping to get you know in the boutique. That's sort of my goal is is to continue to do that. Um, but you know, um, I think there are. Lots of people who still need financial advice, right? There's still a lot a lack of uh, of people using advisors. and you know when you look at the studies that Vanguard runs on on people managing their own money, it's you know it's a noticeable um, performance difference. people that I think people that use advisors they found did about three percent better every single year. Mm-hmm. and that three percent adds up. so, um, you know, I certainly think you know there, that everyone could could benefit from it. Um, generally, there are people that are want to do a little more of it themselves, and they need more of the education. There are others that want to kind of more concierge. You know, um, uh, everyone's different, but uh, but I think there's an advisor who who you can find who will provide. You know, we just need a plan, or we just want hourly, or we want everything. You know, we need you to manage. We need you to do the plan. Um, there's a there's a good financial advisor uh, hope for uh for everyone and uh you know then just watch out for the bad ones i guess <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. and so again you can have clients from all around the country but you are located mm-hmm. in southern berkshire uh mm-hmm. of, of massachusetts and uh, specifically stockbridge right? right um so um that has its own character uh southern berkshire so you know tell me about what it's like working there uh and, and being in that community because uh, you're, you're very involved in the community
1: um yeah you know i i i've, I've so far avoided the politics <laughs> but uh, i do feel very involved um, you,
0: can, you know you can be in the community without uh, i know, um, you know i know but um but i think you've been uh, on a chamber board yeah i've been there, on a chamber yeah. board.
1: <laughs> um but but i do think uh you know well I was thinking about this this morning a little bit uh in that a lot of i think the source of some of the i don't want to say problems but i think technology has changed the world and people interact with you know online a lot more than they do with people Mm -hmm. and that's a different relationship that you have with somebody online and then sometimes it can really uh harm folks to have that kind of lonely experience online and one of the things i love about being up here is uh, and, and Stockbridge certainly has this, uh, you know, is you feel like you're part of a community, you know, could be people that I've never gone to dinner with or had a cocktail with or anything, but they know me, I know them. I see them at the post office when I pick up my mail and we're all in this together. Um, and, and so to me, what it means to kind of live in the Berkshires and, and Southern Berkshire certainly has this is to be part of the history, the narrative of all that's happened here before. and. I think part of the really strong narrative there is we are a community of different people that all come here because we love this place. Um, we all have different backgrounds, you know, yeah, I think I kind of just to stereotype it, I generally group it into three categories, right? I think we have, you know, the folks that have been here for generations, oftentimes, you know, they, they're they like tradespeople and then that's needed, like to your point, um, you know, sometimes and then you have like artists, creators, and they, they are here to, to create and, and have the muse be their environment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the people here. Um, and then you have like sort of the people that have done things elsewhere and now move here or they have second homes here. And they're part of it. And all those people co- come together um, in, you know, various organizations. In, I'd in, say it's always smooth, but compared to what you would think it would be. I think it's just it's a it's really nice to see how people get along here and uh, and care about each other and care for each other. Mm.
0: And what I found is that um, you know, of course, it's a very touristy area. You have uh, uh, Red Lion Inn there, and mm-hmm. um, and I, I I worked at the Stockbridge Golf Club when I was a kid. Um, my mom was the clubhouse manager there, and I just remember when people would come to the Berkshires, um, and you know. We've had lots of Tanglewood people, you know, John Williams would be a, is a member there, you know, things like that. But like they literally came here to relax, you know, and I think that's that's like a, I think that's really beneficial to the whole vibe here because, you know, there's a sense of, all right, like, you know, we live here, you know, we we, we want to get things accomplished, but also there's a little bit of a a nice a nice relaxing vibe to, to some extent. I mean, you know, I mean dealing with the tourist traffic sometimes <laughs> it's not so relaxing, you know, um, you know, we on a Saturday morning, maybe not so much, um, all the time, but, um, but there, there's that certain, uh, feel that, uh, that this is a place where it's sort of like a refuge. And I think that kind of, um, is a benefit to what we do here to some extent.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there's a constant discussion about work-life balance right mm-hmm. um and i think it's sort of just built into being here and and i think everyone benefits from from that i mean you know you see recognition of that at, you know big tech companies you're going to spend one day a week doing something totally unrelated to your job or whatever it is i think everyone can benefit from having a little bit of time to step outside themselves and outside their job and their commute and all, and all of that um so I, you know, I think it kind of goes to the people that are everyone. Is, I would find is pr- probably just a little more creative than they'd be, <laughs> a little more thinking outside the box, a little more kind of um, stepping outside themselves. Let your mind wander a little bit. Let me put it that way. You know, yeah, I think everyone could benefit from just kind of staring at the hills for a second and and just saying, huh, that's nice. You know. Yeah,
0: yeah. Get uh, get some quiet. Get some yeah. quiet and um, and be still. your dad so yep tell me I about am. that a little bit uh i am a dad i have
1: uh, i have two two daughters five and two uh leah and zoe respectively right in the teeth of it uh yeah well you know i i i have to give all all thanks and and credit for their uh growth to this point to my wife catherine because i probably work more than i should um but uh but it's you know being a dad it's I kind of, I mean, I, I tell new dads this and it's probably maybe just my experience, uh, but, but I found others do it. I think it's hard for dads to find their place. Right. Especially Mm. early in, you know, first year, Uh, you know, you don't know, you have, you know, especially if like, there's just such a bond and it's sort of, how am I going to overcome this bond and, and build a relationship? Um, so, you know, I, I think I kind of take the approach that being a dad is just just to kind of be there right to be there whenever your kids need you because i think most of the problems (laughs) at least least so far for me um i'm not the one that's uh resolving those uh, that 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 my kids want to turn to i think i've also been amazed by um how much their identities to date are are felt like they were there from the beginning Mm. right um so that's something that, uh, you know, people say that, right? They're like, oh, they've, they've, they've always been like that. And you say, come on, are they really the same when they were two days old as they are from the their 20? <laughs> but I think there actually are some elements of that where, and, and it, it relates to this, um, once heard somebody, a child psychologist, you know, sort of say, you have to think about your kids as a gardener, not a carpenter. Mm. So how do you shape them? You know, if you're doing topiary or bonsai, this child is going to grow in a certain way naturally and you can try to kind of move it slowly <laughs> and shape it a little bit you can put that stake next to it right, exactly and
0: tie the tie the string yeah. or whatever it is but but, uh, but, <laughs> but
1: you can't think about it like this child is going to be a lawyer this child's gonna be a doctor they're gonna follow my footsteps and be a financial advisor or i'm gonna make sure they go to harvard you know whatever it is i don't think anyone benefits from you trying to you know really be hard-nosed about I think it's better to give them the space uh, to find out who they are and 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 what what makes them tick and what they're passionate about um and then support that where you can and 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 then I guess also be open to the fact that that could change multiple yeah. times right you yeah. know could be really interested in this and suddenly they don't like that you yeah. know um but uh, that, I like, really
0: I do think that is one of the great the parenthood like you said it, it it's like an art and the art is that balance and seeing something light them up and then being able to encourage them in that direction and understanding that can change all at any point Um, but then also yes not steering them in a direction that's against that natural flow Mm -hmm. you know because you want to so I I, you know (laughs) and we're always learning more every day Um, and then sometimes they surprise you over time like Mm -hmm. you know um wow my kids really do like baseball, like a lot, you know, and and so I didn't I didn't know what to expect, but they love baseball, you know. As an example, just like I did, so that's cool, you know. Um, but it it they surprise you all the time, and um, but I think it is that it is that balance, and 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 I think we learn from our own childhood too, mm-hmm. because you know I mean I don't know what your childhood was like, you know I'm going to go too deep, but you can, just, <laughs> you know I don't know if your parents yeah. pushed you to be an attorney or not. I don't know, <laughs> no, no, they didn't. Um, but that's kind of like you know really great parents are are the ones who help boost you to go to your passion, um and not push their passion. I guess. Yes,
1: yeah. I mean you know my my dad uh, was has always been into computers and. You know, program since he was sixteen, and um, and so I remember very strongly at age nine. Said, well, you know, you know, we can teach you how to code and and make your own <laughs> video games. And I said, you know, I just want to play baseball and soccer, you know, I, and you know, maybe uh, I guess you know, in retrospect, I I don't know whether I would have loved doing that. Um, I, there there are elements of it that I think I would have enjoyed, but my immediate reaction was, I'm not going to do that, right? Um, I'm not going to do that. So. I think that uh it's uh you definitely have to watch out for those (laughs) steering moments and and
0: sometimes there are things that like if your dad did it you just don't want to do it you know as an example you know um and then then in some cases some and again that's this is where the nature versus the nurture some uh, it may be the nature where the kid just wants to do everything their dad did you know um it's really interesting um, yeah. because everyone is i mean nobody is the same and no kid is the same and i've got three boys and they're s- similar in a lot of ways but super super different in every way i'm sure your two daughters are very similar in some ways and like re- really different uh, yeah, exactly in other ways. absolutely absolutely uh, it's good stuff it's good stuff nothing nothing like it So you're growing, um, as, as a firm, mm-hmm. it, it seems like, um, yeah, how's we, that going for
1: you? Um, it's, uh, I think every stage of, uh, of being a business owner has its own, uh, you know, um, scary aspects, right. Um, I had to first make the leap and come up with the brand and, and, you know, the logo and with help of course, um, and, uh, find my first employee, which turned out great. Um, and now, you know, I just realized, Hey, I want to give, myself the space to do certain things or, and I also enjoy the process of educating. So, uh, you know, I want to give, uh, you know, I've, I've found a new uh, person to help initially with the planning, uh, and then hopefully be a junior advisor in the, in the near future. But I think um, if we, if I'm, I'm happy with the services we're providing, and I want to be able to make sure we have other advisors that can can do that as well um, as we grow, um, especially, you know, one of the things I haven't mentioned yet, but, you know relates to the idea of, of different folks needing different levels of service you know um, we wanted to expand to folks who wanted to manage their own investments but wanted to check in every quarter and so can we do an hourly thing um, you know for them or folks that really are comfortable managing their own investments but just don't have a financial plan so we've we've added that so um, I've brought on a gentleman Kyle who's going to help with some of that um, so it's uh, I think it's trying to serve those folks um, you know I think a lot of people think about it from the standpoint of, well, I don't have enough money, right? Like, I don't have enough money to be to have a financial advisor, right? Um, and uh, and I think that that's where- well, Matt, how much money do you need <laughs> to have a financial advisor? Right <laughs> now, I mean, they're right. they're financial like I said, are financial advisors will do anything. But uh, but point being that you know, I think most of the time what happens is somebody says, "Hey, I'm about to retire and I've saved up X, right? And can you help me, right?" Um, and the person says, sure, because you have X, <laughs> which is what I need to ha- you need to have to work with me. Um, and you think you think to yourself, well, what happened if that person met a financial advisor at 25 and that got started building good habits and saw how it could grow from there? Wouldn't they have 2x, 3x, 4x what they had? You know, would that re- make the retirement much easier to for them to, you know, outlive their um not outlive their money? know so you know i think there's a lot of opportunities for people to start young um when they might have nothing Mm -hmm. um and we want to make sure we have some opportunities for that whether it's pro bono or you know hourly or whatever it it is because um you know that's that's where you can have the biggest impact yeah there are
0: different so not to get too into the weeds but there are different models as to how financial advising works and how the advisor gets paid Mm -hmm. so give me a sense of what that looks like if you would, because I think people really have no idea because sure. honestly, I mean, if people, they invest and they're just kind of like, okay, well, there's my money. they don't even know how the financial advisor is getting paid probably in some cases, but there, but there, are, different, there are different models of, of how that works. Yeah.
1: Um, so historically there's been sort of, you know, sometimes the terminology is also confusing, right? Everybody can be a financial advisor, right? Yeah. There's no sort of like, well, if you're a financial advisor, you do it this way. Um, you know, it's just a title, but but I would say um, you know, historically, there's been brokers where you pay a commission when you buy or sell. so they only mm-hmm. get paid you know, a certain amount when you buy or sell, right. Um, and then there have been investment advisors um, that are regulated differently, and they generally have charged uh, a percentage of what they're managing um, for that client. Um, that's sort of the the, the most basic breakdown. Um, there's been a lot of kind of overlap where people, you know, might be at this firm, might be doing both, or um, so. But that's sort of the, the the most common form. A lot of the brokerage uh, industry is sort of slowly going away, as you can. Imagine. I was going to say
0: because if you're solely making money off of your client buying something, then if they're not continuing to buy stuff then it becomes not lucrative at all. even even if even if their portfolio is growing um you know so for me those are the kinds of <clears throat> people who may be a little pushy <laughs> be like hey you know you got to do this you got to do that you know we got to check in da, 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 which is good i mean you always want to check in right but, but what is the what is the motive behind that you know? yeah
1: certainly there's a there's a feeling that you know if you're a fiduciary if you're really in, in the investment advisors generally are fiduciaries they have to do what's always in the best interest of your client and the brokers have never been held to that standard wow so <laughs> so there's a little there's always a legal there's a different legal standard but yeah, there is a little bit more of a... I've met brokers who are who are fine. I mean, they're sure, they're sure. doing a good I'm job. Sure. But but um, but yeah, certainly as a natural uh, incentive, there's more of an incentive to say, look, I'm on the same side of the table with you, so I'm charging this fee, and as, as your account grows, my fee goes up. So we're I'm always in the position to be doing my best to make the be- best decisions for you. Um, so there's certainly that. Um, you know, and and a lot of things in addition just the industries change, right? I mean, there used to be one set commission for every, every firm charged the same commission. And then they got rid of that and you start to see like, you know, E-Trade and Schwab and those kinds of things where they were lowering commissions. And yeah. so then, you know, a lot of folks that were historically brokers said, well, you know, this doesn't work for us. How do we show our value? And and I think uh, hopefully, you know, a, a lot of the move has been towards, I think in, for good reasons, Hope in most cases, Towards let's look at the person's whole financial life. Let's yeah, build a yeah, financial plan for yeah. them. Because So disruption
0: in that market actually did probably improve it for yeah. the clients out there because then people are forced instead of just going for the next sale or right. the next the next trade, then they're actually looking at the portfolio.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And I think um so I think it did it did help that um move. Uh, you know, cynically there's still folks that I think are kind of getting dragged, kicking and streaming into <laughs> it. You know, I mean, I think, you know, at every level look we all know that every every service has different levels of service and ways that you define it right so i could say well we do a financial plan my financial plan might be different from somebody else's financial plan right but but i think fundamentally you know i think it's been a good thing for brokers to be pushed to to think more about the individual and their situation and their plan and their life outside of their money i don't think most people you know not to say everyone's like this but by and large most people that i meet don't particularly care whether we're buying apple or google <laughs> you know They're just like, how am i doing over time like am i saving up enough to have enough for retirement and am i not going to run out of money those are the biggest concerns right yeah.
0: um so-, so you don't have a lot of uh, folks saying hey no fossil fuel uh, industries or or that sort of thing or well, is that
1: that's i think that's sort of a different like different question right um you know i think uh you can certainly, in lots of different ways, try to try to exclude certain categories of of investments, and um, uh, there are different, you know, ways to do that. But I think that's sort of where, you know, can you align the values? Again, if you can align your values better with your investments, and not the plan doesn't the plan doesn't suffer, then you should do that, right? right. It's going to be, you know. <laughs> but we have to look at it and say, okay how is this is this really being aligned with your values in the way you want How has the performance been what does that mean you know uh, and i think most of the time sometimes i get a little cynical i guess about wall street but um but in this case i think if so in this case i think a lot of times now it's just a buzzword right like esg oh oh you, you care about the values okay we're gonna put you in this esg fund instead of the discussion of okay well what does that mean like what is what does environmental social governance mean what companies make you just
0: because they made it quick and easy they're like oh we got these clients all right just pop them into this fund and 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 we'll be (laughs) awesome so it's kind of back to the brokers thing like we're just we're just
1: trying to we're just trying to create a product yeah for the client you know that that's that we can sell the client and that's always the the times you should run when you feel like it's okay I'm not I'm not a client anymore I'm just being sold a product Mm. right um you know that's that's definitely something uh you know I think you want to look for is what does this person know about me why how do they know why are they making these recommendations what is it based on mm. um and is it based on something we've discussed and we've gone into detail about or is it just kind of like yeah that makes sense
0: yeah you know so and, and, I, and I find that these types of, of roles the role that you have as a financial advisor um you know certainly um healthcare professionals get very personal but like you're in a, you're in a situation where people are at their most vulnerable in a lot of ways i think that's that's an amazing place to be and for people to put their trust in you and i think it's it's really meaningful and again with the industry how it has shifted i it sounds like that that is a good shift uh for that that more people are being forced to hey you know it, it's about the human being cuz what what good what good is the whole financial picture what does that even mean unless it's not unless it's benefiting the person who's mm-hmm. attached to that yeah. um so i think that's a really great point
1: yeah i mean at the end of the day you know money's just a resource and you can use it now you can use it in the future how do we use it it's really the question that we're, we're best to answer you know trying to answer here it's like what what is your what is the path of your life and how are you going to use these resources that you have to uh, to best uh, accomplish uh, that the life that you want?
0: Hmm. Painting the picture. There you go. Tableau Wealth. I love it. Love the name. Love the name uh, Matthew Chester. Great pleasure, man. Yeah. And thanks. Um, nice uh, thanks for coming on into the studio. And uh, we'll be talking to you. Sounds good. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the John Curl podcast on your platform of choice. Maybe it's Apple podcasts or Spotify, whatever works for you. Also, I would like to hear from you on the people and the stories that you'd like to hear more of. Send me a note through Facebook Messenger, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm easy to find and I'm easy to reach. I look forward to hearing from you. And if you'd like to support the podcast for less than a cup of coffee, and I'm not talking about the cost of a large latte at a fancy coffee shop. No, more like a McDonald's coffee. Go into the description of this episode and scroll down to the anchor.fm link. It's right there. Just click it and you can see your options. Or log on to anchor.fm backslash john hyphen kroll backslash support. Again, thank you for listening. I'm John Kroll. Talk to you soon.